Hey folks, this is Nick. And I'm Brandon. And this is Coast to Coast. Welcome to another episode of Coast to Coast. Welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast, everybody. The Veterans Day special. Today, yes. we have a couple of special guests here to do this with us. We have uh, Army E Buck E Five Buck Sergeant Army Don, and Hello. we also have with us Marines Corporal Chris Perna. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for being here, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. No problem. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit of something on your background? Sure. Um, Christopher Perna. I was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps from uh, 2003 to 2007. Uh, I currently live in uh, Niagara Falls, New York, and I work for uh, the New York State Power Authority now. Wow. All right. Mr. Army Don, got anything you want to tell us? Yes, sir. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes, sir, we yes, can. Yes, we can. All right, good. Yeah, I live in East Texas uh, in a town called Joaquin and um, been married for 27 years, um, have 40 grandkids and three great-grandkids. Um, barely trying to get my drone license because of because Ferris is a drone pilot, he wants me to become one so yeah, we can work together. And uh, I have a variety of experience over the past uh, 70 years, 75 years of my life. Um, just everything under the sun. I, it seemed like every five years I'd change jobs because I get bored with what I had and <laughs> go do something else. So it's been banking and working on sales sites and putting energy systems in and uh, truck driving. It's just been a bunch of stuff, but it's been a great life. I've really enjoyed it. I hear you. It sounds great. I, I can relate to that kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, yeah. right? <laughs> Well, actually, we did do some carpentry work over, I bet about a 10-year period uh, where we did some remodeling and stuff like that. But that's a hard life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have any benefits that way. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like manual labor to get you get you through yeah. tomorrow, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, Chris, awesome. you back in high school, you wrestled for my uncle, right? Yeah, and your father. That's right. And... And you came and practiced with us a few times, and I think me and you uh, went head to head. Oh, I'm sure we oh, did. Oh, <laughs> now that's a story I've got to hear. <laughs> hey, 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 with you. Don't get Brandon <laughs> I'm started. just saying. I'm sure Nick handled me. <laughs> so, guys, before we get going, we're going to start this off with my wife's question of the day, because it's supposed to be a pretty good one for you guys. Yeah. So if you're ready for it, Brandon, shoot it. I got it. Uh, so Linda's question of the week, she wants to know, well, she wants to preface with, to all veterans of all branches, thank you for your sacrifice, your bravery, and the example you set for us all. In short, thank you for your service. To all those who have served and those who continue to serve, happy Veterans Day. And her question is, and again, this is for our honored guests here, how was it that you 
essentially decided on which branch you were going to serve in? Good question. That's a fantastic question. <laughs> Good question. I've got a quick answer on that. When I was drafted in the army, so that that was that the choice. You didn't have army. a choice. <laughs> well, that's not exactly true. There were some. There were sometimes with the uh, the draft back in the late sixties that some people had a. Well, they were they were put either in the Marines or the Army. Those are the two that I remember. Uh, they really didn't have a choice, but but the Army made the uh, the the, the um, powers that may be made the choice for them because I heard some people were drafted into the Marines as well, mm-hmm. and I don't know how that. They're lucky. <laughs> I feel lucky that I got in the army. <laughs> if you if you put it that way, that I have high respect for the Marines, very high respect, Chris. So it wasn't. It's just a it goes Marine. both ways. It's not yeah. was not for me, you know. I just. <laughs> I think there's some there that the true statement is a very a few good men, and I believe that. Well, what about you, Chris? What made you choose the Marine Corps? Well. I don't think I, I thought I was going to join the army and I, uh, it was after nine 11 and I'm kind of unique. I went in quite older than most uh, people joined the service. I was, uh, I turned 30 years old in boot camp, So um, I went on a limb to uh, the recruiting station to get some information and I ran into somebody in the hallway there and he wasn't in uniform. And um, I was working as a chef in a hotel in, in Buffalo. And I wanted to continue that and along with joining the military. So I wanted to be a combat cook. So this gentleman was in the hallway. He asked if he could help me. I said, what branch of the service are you in? He said, the Marines. I go, do you uh, offer food service? And he said uh, that we do. And that was it. That's what uh, made my decision up that day. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but did you did you do cooking or you didn't go into cooking, though, did you? Yeah, I was. Uh, I ended up being a cook in the Marine Corps, and I served in an infantry battalion. And if I would have went in when I was seventeen or eighteen, I would have probably would have uh, signed up as uh, an O three eleven grunt in the Marine Corps. So I ended up uh, doing the job that I wanted to do, cool. along with being an infantry battalion, which um, we deployed twice to. Um, once to Afghanistan and once to Iraq. So I was able to do uh, my primary job during the day by uh, feeding my fellow Marines. And then I was also able to um, reap the benefits of going out on patrols and um, raids uh, in the middle of the night and convoys as well. So I had the best of both worlds. Wow. Okay. Wow. I didn't, and that's something I didn't know. Did you go in and be a cook, but still end up in the field? Yeah, I had I had no idea. Yeah, it. Um, I, I guess I didn't know that either. I was naive, I guess, going in. I just wanted to join uh, because of what was uh, going on at the time. I uh, 
wasn't dating anyone. I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. And uh, the military was something that I always wanted to do. And uh, it was a perfect opportunity with uh, um, 9-11 happening and yeah. then us uh, sending troops to Afghanistan and then uh, to Iraq. Hmm. Good timing. Yeah, I never, I never in a million years would have, would have pictured, pictured that. Would you, would you just describe? That's, it's interesting. <laughs> so oh, that's amazing. I know that Chris wants to share something interesting. So before, because I think it might be something. Mm -hmm. Let's go with Army Don here. Tell us about your little bit of Vietnam, how that all went down. Yes, please. <laughs> Vietnam was. Uh course something that entered my life because the government wanted it to enter my life so um the the draft notice was kind of an interesting thing we we had my wife and i had just moved across from one of my best friends uh there in shreveport and he and i hopped in the car to go up to the hardware store about four blocks away and as we were driving down our street there's a mailman coming down on the sidewalk and Jim turns to me and says, here comes your draft notice. And I just kind of looked and kind of snickered. Wow. Got home and sure enough, the draft notice was in the mail. <laughs> so that started my career with, with the U S army. Um, what kind of, what kind of a, a feeling did you have when you, when you received that? What was the, what was the initial thought? Didn't want to go basically. I yeah. mean, I, that was my son, said he, he he enlisted in the army and he said my hat's off to anybody that's drafted because they don't want to go but i said well my hat's off you because you volunteered to go yeah. so i mean you know <laughs> it kind of works both ways you know um he uh he kind of pointed that out to me today and i guess i guess that's right too i mean a lot of guys that were drafted they went and did their duty yeah uh it was interesting on the way out to um to, to get ready to go overseas to Vietnam, I had a cousin actually living in San Francisco and we flew in Oakland. And um, he said, uh, hey, I'll get you to Canada if you want to go. I said, I can give you some money. I know some people up there you can stay with. And I said, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I, you know, that a lot of people that were doing that. And yeah. I said, no, I think I'll stay. And it's been a real blessing. And over the years, I found out a lot of my VA benefits have really been a blessing to us oh, yeah. and, uh, so you know for two years of service it, it turned out pretty good sounds good so mr perna you were in iraq and afghanistan right i was yes well you got to what can you tell us about that because i i'd like to hear from you sure um you know going in obviously i assumed that i was going to deploy at some point and I was, my primary uh, duty station was in uh, Hawaii. I was in Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii, which, you know, not a bad place to. Uh, hey, there you go. <laughs> not a bad place to uh, store your clothes while you're gone, because I, was, <laughs> I wasn't there very much. <laughs> but um, yeah, I got there um, in. 
It was right before 4th of July of 2004. And um, my unit was getting, um, was going out on, a, it's called REMPAC. It was um, naval ships that were gonna be converging on Hawaii uh, to do training together. And I was uh, thrown into that at the last minute. And uh, while we were on that, on, um, on the ship for 18 days, um, our order. Oof. He'll be back in a second. Uh-oh. Yeah. You froze. Froze for a second. <laughs> It, it seems like every time we do something with live YouTube, something happens somewhere. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. And there he goes. Um, you know, now you're taking on that role as uh, protect your parents. He told my parents that I was deploying uh, to Af Afghanistan. And um, the one thing I, that I had told my mother was, I go, uh, the way that I'm looking at this is that um, I'm only going there for a short period of time. And I want to make a difference while I'm there. And unfortunately, these people are never going to leave there. Mm. So if I could make a difference in uh, someone's life while I'm there, then I think I'm doing, uh, doing uh, my job. So Definitely. Absolutely. And um, not knowing what I was going to encounter while I was there, um, you know, when I look back at it now, um, I'm still, I'm still helping these individuals. Um, I had, being a cook, we, I didn't know what the circumstances were, but we had we called them local nationals working on the base with us. And they, um, the average age was from, I would say 14 years old to I think 23 years old. And we had about six or seven um, Afghani people working with us in our chow hall. And over my eight months of uh, my eight month deployment, I came very close with these individuals. And the youngest kid was, his name was Nazir. He um, worked there, I don't know, three, four days a week, just washing the dishes. And the US government, was sending him to school to learn English. And one day he showed up with school books. And I go, show me what you have and what you're learning. And I knew from my experience in, this, in school, you're not gonna learn it unless you're studying after the fact. Yeah, but absolutely. I, so I asked him to bring his school books to work with him. And I helped him learn how to read. That's cool. 
And so at the end of my deployment, I was sent off to, I was up near the Pakistani border with a squad of Marines. We were on a, a special forces base and they sent me up there with them to support them. And the day I came back, this Nazir was uh, sitting outside reading on his own. Nice. And what a feeling of gratitude, you know, not gratitude, but pride that I felt helping this kid. And he Absolutely. Was, and being gone for a month, he was doing it, continued to um, study on his own. And he was reading and writing in English. Wow. You it was probably, awesome. You probably played a big role in that. You made him, gave him the confidence for it, I'm sure. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe he was in one of the pictures that I had shared with you guys. Um, there was a group of, uh, in the one picture, there's a group of uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistani um, local nationals that worked for us. And that was right near the time that we were leaving. And they wa I wanted to take a picture with them because I was that close with them. This little group of people. So and is that, or who is the kid in this picture here? In the back, um, he was sitting to my right, Nazir. But the gentleman standing up in the back that's a completely other story that i can share with you guys um we continued to stay in contact after i came back to the states and it was mostly through um emails in the beginning and then obviously facebook came came uh came around and he had a facebook account or yeah facebook account and he reached out to me one day and said, uh, I need your help. He goes, I need to get out of Afghanistan. My family is being threatened by the Taliban. They found out that I was working on the U.S. bases and helping the U.S. government. And now they're threatening my life and they're going to kill us. Wow. And my first thought was, how do I help somebody get out of their own country? Yeah. yeah. I had no clue where to start or what to do. And when I was in Afghanistan, the same individual came to me and said, uh, I want you to help me become an interpreter because he was an educated individual. He went, he went to school in Pakistan and he already knew English very well. And uh, one day on the base, uh, I saw this officer, he needed an interpreter and all the interpreters were out on uh, missions and um, convoys. So I said, I have somebody for you. And I went and grabbed this kid that worked for me and I brought him to the officer and I said, he can help you. And the officer ultimately offered him a job cool. while I was there. That's great. I'm going, I'm going, Holy shit. I'm going, this kid, sees more in me than I'm giving myself credit for to help him to get a job. But unfortunately, um, they sent him off to another part of Afghanistan. And 
um, the other interpreters didn't take kindly to him because probably the area that he came from. And um, so it only lasted for a short period of time and he came back to the base that we were working on and uh, he wasn't an interpreter anymore, unfortunately. But to fast forward to what I was speaking of, that him contacting me and saying that his life was in danger, I um, called some local politicians, their offices, to find out what I needed to do to help help him. And not that the politicians helped me, it was their secretaries that know all the information. So the secretary that I spoke to gave me a website to go on to, which I did. And then I became a point of contact on his information. He had started a claim in Kabul where the um, embassy was. And I was a point of contact. They would give pass the information on to me that they were giving to him. And then uh, myself and this individual would uh, communicate through instant messenger. That's how this whole, <laughs> it's crazy that we never spoke to each other on a phone or anything. It was all through instant messenger <laughs> and um, commenting back and forth to each other. I go, you need to provide them this and that. And then they wanted his whole family to get physicals, which they were going to charge him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sending them emails in at the Kabul um, embassy saying this in, he has no money. And they're responding back to me, well, then you pay for it. <laughs> and I'm going, if I could wow. afford to pay for that, I go, I would in a second. I go, but this individual supported the U.S. government. Now his life is in danger. The least you could do is waive this so him and his family could get their visas to get out of the country. You know, I could go, I could comment on that. I don't want to because when you think about stuff going on now and they wouldn't help this guy, come on. Yeah. yeah. That was crazy. So when did this happen? When was it he was trying to get out of there? Oh. Uh, that would have been two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, maybe. Okay. So, did he ever make it over? That was my that was my question. Well, um, I'll I'll continue. So, the funny thing is, he had to he had some gold apparently, and a cow. And he sold both of those. And I think he, I hate to say this, that he got money from somewhere. I don't even want to say where he got it to make this happen. So he sold a cow and some gold and raised the, the money that he needed to get these uh, physicals for his family. He had three or four kids at the time plus his wife, that he needed to get out of Afghanistan. Wow. So this went on for about two years, going back and forth. That's why I have such an issue with the border 
and people coming over the border and sneaking in and all this bullshit because this guy went about it the right way. And it took two years to get in, into the United States legally. And these freaking borders are wide open. And they're giving people that are, you know, they're getting people that are just sneaking yeah. in legally. Oh, well, if you come on in, we'll give you whatever you need. Well, there's, there's, there's so much going on right now. It's, it's absolutely, I don't know. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we will because <laughs> if we go, if we go down that road, oh, that road uh, is. Well, you know, that that's my issue because, you know, we went about this the right way. He reached out to me yeah, and I did what I could do to uh, support him to ultimately get him where he needed to be. And um, so it took two years. And then one day I was at work in a, I was in a training class of some sort and I get a text message and I look at it and he goes, I'm in Nebraska. And I was like, it happened. It took so long, but it happened so quick when it finally got to that point. Yeah. And next thing you know, him and his family are in Nebraska. At least they got out. And that's man, awesome. That's ridiculous. And <clears throat> another touchy, uh, touchy subject is that, you know, he hit the ground running as soon as he got here. Mm-hmm. And he got himself enrolled in school. He got himself a job. He got his family an apartment. He ultimately bought himself, got his driver's license. He bought a vehicle. He's been promoted at, at his job. He's graduated from the courses that he's taken. Crazy. That's outstanding. That's fantastic. I feel you, man. I'm kind of- I see some par- parallels with Vietnam on the same deal. It seems like they, they're repeating it. Uh, of course, in 1975, uh, they were getting a bunch of folks out on, by way of helicopters on top of roofs and things like that. And I can see uh, our method of doing things had to change. Crazy, um, especially when it comes to pulling out of somewhere. And to see the pictures that he posts of his children now, thriving in school. I hear you, man. Fantastic. Tough subject. They had. Uh, we had some people that I knew over. In, Rhythm, Texas, in a theater, and, and he was married to a Vietnamese lady that was uh, in country when, when everything was falling apart in 1975. And when the VC finally came in and got into the south, southern part of Vietnam, she had been helping the U.S. government, and uh, she, she feared for her life. She actually hid in a latrine inside the latrine to avoid being captured and finally she got she got worked her way out through cambodia and i think uh into an um can't remember taiwan i think it was finally got to the united states and she was married to the to this man that that worked in saigon that was a um 
citizen of the United States. And when and he was trying to get her out when all that was coming down in 1975, but I think it was another year before she finally got out. So these people are live a, live a, a rough life when when things fall apart. It, it, I, I couldn't imagine me doing what she had to do to protect herself and get her out of the country. Um, just amazed me that she did that. And then I heard a similar story when I moved to Joaquin, same kind of a deal. They, they did what they could to, to hide and get out. And that I'm sure it had, you know, hearing about the uh, exodus of all these uh, people that helped the United States, uh, going to have to cross the border instead of us getting them out to begin with like we should have but uh maybe i'm getting this in trouble here but that that's just that's that's the fact of life that's yeah. what happened absolutely and don if you, if you don't mind um could you give us kind of a a rundown on exactly what you were what you were doing when you were over there sure um i trained as a uh infantryman and and at fort polk louisiana and um i went in in uh february of 68 had been married about a year and um uh, when i got to fort polk um basic training of course and then uh, two months of uh, ait was with the infantry uh when i finished it the military at that time was having a hard time keeping buck sergeants alive in Vietnam. They, they were losing buck sergeants like crazy over there. So they came up with this idea of, and it was called Instant NCO. It, that was the nickname for it. They'd send you to Fort Benning, Georgia, and you would learn to be a squad leader uh, for the Army. And uh, took took you four months of training of that. Then you come back to Fort Polk, you were two months back again with AIT with fresh troops coming in, and you, you actually were the squad leader as a buck sergeant. Oh, wow. And then you go over, uh, after you go on leave, you go over to Nam and, and you get out in the field. That, that was how I was trained. Well, during that time that I was on leave uh, up in Shreveport, went to a skating rink with my wife and was coming around the curve, and my ankle got broke. Uh, on one of those curves it hit it just hit the wall and broke it so they mm. kept me out for five months from going to vietnam that, yeah and so after i uh, during that time that i was recuperating they give you what's called a profile uh, it says you can't run jump stoop whatever crawl and so the doctor that i was going to he gave me one profile oh i guess about the first month that I started going to see him a couple of months down the road, he gave me another profile and it was a, a greater profile. So my first sergeant told me, he said, look, you've got this profile. Don't ever give it up. It's yours. You should, you never give it up. So I took his advice and the army was pushing to get guys in the Vietnam, and then they were looking at everybody and anybody didn't make any difference what was wrong with them. And the doctor told me he had to take my profile away from me. Well, he had given me two, so I gave him one back. When I got to Vietnam and I showed him the other profile, they said, okay, we're going to change you to a clerk. 
So it got me changed as an MOS, and the, the first sergeant was right. You, were, you, you get that profile, it's yours. That's yeah. the way it was back then. I don't know if it is the same now. So um, worked in the open mess system for the first air cab. I was a, a bookkeeper. I kept records of all the clubs. Every day they had to do an inventory. We had to justify their uh, money coming in and their product going out every day. And uh, so that's what I did at, for about four months. And then uh, they needed a club manager and they asked me if I wanted to take a club. And I said, well, what, what do you mean a club? I said, well, it's not really a club. It's a snack bar. And I said, well, that's fine. Uh, where's it at? And it's, it was the same, in, in the same place that I came in country to. Uh, you come in, the div army divisions have their own uh, introduction to the company uh, country before they assign you somewhere in the field so you're there for about a week learning all kinds of rules and regulations about the country and the customs and things like that and so that's where i wound up with the snack bar uh, and that, there's a picture there behind that, you that right pen over that thing's uh, crazy yeah brandon's got a uh, brandon's got a picture of the snack bar with the canopy uh, parachute tent uh, thing. I believe it's oh, this one, right? That one right down there, mm -hmm. yeah. And then the girls up there, there was a couple of girls that worked for us now. What Chris was talking about, those nationals, we had nationals as well. They were written these people and they'd come in and help. I had four girls, the greatest girls. Uh, I mean, Nick asked me which one was mine. I, I didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> had boyfriends. They had boyfriends. No problem there. The GIs already picked on them. So, But they were great, great gals. They got along really well. They did some strange things. To get rid of a headache, they would pinch their, their uh, nose like this. I mean, for about 15 minutes, that get rid of the headache. Now, I don't know how that works. That's interesting. I'd have it to try that later. <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about that. You know? But anyway, uh, my experience over there with, with the people, uh, I understand exactly where Chris is coming from. You, 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 you kind of get used to them. There was, but there was one element you had to worry about when I was there uh, in the induction center, uh, there was a Bible salesman walking around. He was he was Korean, trying to sell these huge Bibles that you put on your coffee table. You know, you need to have a Bible. We'll send it to the United States and all this kind of stuff. Well, about I guess it's about six months later when I was in the uh, snack bar, somebody came up and told me about the Bible salesman. And said it turned out he was a spy for the North Vietnamese. Oh, he was trying to get information from the troops as he's walking through selling Bibles. Wow. So you got to watch what you're doing on, on where your friendships go and everything. And but I think you, I think I, I, anybody that has any common sense can kind of feel through those things if he just watches what he asks and how they answer and stuff like that. Uh, that's basically it for for that. Now there were some interesting things that happened. I could I could tell you uh, there were seven men, according to what I heard. There's seven men in the rear that's taking care of that one guy in the field. So you got you know you got uh, mechanics and you got cooks and you got office people and you got people in the medical field. And all those people are in the rear supporting that one one guy. Seven out of one. 
And uh, so I happened to be one of those seven. And I was very fortunate that, that uh, I felt very fortunate being drafted and everything that that happened to me. Uh, but we did have our uh, element of of uh, stress, I guess you'd say, while you're there. Oh, yeah. We would have these rockets. Uh, the North Vietnamese had Chinese rockets that they could set up in a make a cross member with a couple of pieces of wood and lay that rocket in that cross member and lay the ignition wires down in a can. And of course, it rained seemed like every day there. Once that can filled up with a little bit of water and made those two wires, you know, the water come up and hit those two wires, mm -hmm. it would send that rocket where, wherever it was aimed for. And uh, we had rockets coming into the uh, compound like that. Uh, we had two occasions where it really came close. Uh, I was in the latrine on one of those occasions. And to this day, I always wondered, why would they want to blow up a latrine? <laughs> out of the targets out there. But these things were not, they weren't aimed perfectly. They were aimed yeah, at this yeah. deal. And so it went off outside the latrine and of course rockets are made out of metal and metal turns into fragments fragments hit the tin roof and and it was pretty loud and uh i stuck my head out the door and first sergeant was over there with this hooch girl hiding behind his hooch and he says jones get back in the latrine you're safer in there than you would be out here because so, <laughs> i had all that thin metal protection. Yeah. anyway that was that was one of the one of the highlights of, of my experience with uh with you know enemy fire but then there was another time uh, that we had moved from one place to another, and we could look down on Benoit Air Force Base, and we could see the runway. And it was night, and we started getting rocket fire in, and they hit a napalm depot, and I mean, at least, a, I bet you $100,000 worth of napalm went up, and it was a fire going up. Wow. Next thing I noticed, I was watching, watching that, and then I noticed down down on the runway i could hear this jet roaring engine going down the runway and all of a sudden you could see a shadow of a freedom bird which was a commercial airliner that looked like it was going almost straight up i mean that that guy put the pedal to the metal to get that plane out of there so that no rocket would land on that you know that oh man million dollar plane plus he had guys on there probably going to r and r somewhere and I'm thinking, well, you know, there's coffee, tea, and me, and I got pee all over me. That's the way it would be with me if I was in that plane <laughs> heading up in the sky. Oh my so those are some things that happened that I remember uh, about my experience that, that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. You know, yeah. just, you're here in the United States, we, we're so comfortable, we don't, we don't have those problems. But uh, oh. I went back home uh, in uh, February of 70, and... Uh, Never thought about it much after that until till you guys come along and ask me to talk oh, about it. Oh, we stirred it, it all up for you. So, so you stirred <laughs> it all up again, I tell you what. But uh, Your time's up. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say at the VA. Time's up. <laughs> yeah, all right. So uh, wow. that's, about, that's about it on, on that. Yeah. There's lots of subjects and stories you can tell that are heartbreaking or scary, but there's bound to be here and there some stories, some type of little story you guys have that's humorous. Something you remember that that like tickled you when you were where you were at. 
Nick loves all the funny stuff. I love funny stuff. Stuff that makes. I, li- I like all the stuff with the happy endings and and whatnot. You know, everybody's everybody's good. Well, They're having a fun time. Had, and I had a I had a uh, drill sergeant that for some reason, right off the get go, he was mad at me and didn't like me. He picked on me more than anybody else, <laughs> and I could not figure out why that guy was picking on me. And I I knew of a kid that came in. Uh, met him right at the first day and, and he was upset because he had to leave his wife. He, they just got married and he, you could tell he was, I wouldn't say he's a wuss, but he was, he was just not feeling all that great about being in the service. Mm-hmm. So after the two months of basic training and with Sergeant Nance, Nance, uh, down my neck all the time, uh, come graduation day and come, time to leave and everything and Sergeant Nats came up to me he's a pretty good sized black gentleman and he looked at me and he said uh, uh, he said Private Jones I owe you an apology and I said that's all be good <laughs> he said he said I got you mixed up with another guy and I knew the guy he was talking about he was the guy that that didn't want to leave his wife and all this kind of stuff he he said, I thought you were him because he wore glasses and I wore glasses and we about the same say. I mean, we looked alike, really did. I admit the guy looked just like me. And, and he said, and I want to apologize. And that I got was my first apology that I got from, from anybody in the so you, army that you, especially was training me and everything. You got all the wrath that belonged to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> and, and then, uh, there was a, but let me, let me look at my notes and I'll come back to you on some other stuff on that. There was a second apology that came to me, but I need to refresh <laughs> my memory what it was. Sure. I don't remember right now. Chris, but, uh, Chris, how about you? Do you have any, uh, any funny or laughable moments that you can recall? Um, I guess I have a few from boot camp as well. Um, I wish I could remember this kid's name, but he was, he was special. Uh, he was, I don't know if he was from somewhere in Pennsylvania or deep West Virginia, but the drill instructors were all over this kid from day one. And one night they, we were, he was on fire watch and there was an individual that would have to stay up and walk up and down the squad bay. Darn. Oh no! But it froze up again. Yeah, he froze. Hmm. Boogers. Usually takes one second, then it clicks back in. To you froze on us there, Chris. For just a second, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I just got them just uh, so they hit the the drill instructor had this kid in the in the head staring at himself in the mirror mm. and he had him repeating I'm not crazy as he was st- staring at himself in the mirror and we're all in, the, we're all in, the, in our racks uh, listening to this go on and we're all crying laughing listening to this kid yelling out i'm not crazy you are as he stared at himself in the mirror in the bathroom <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing yeah. 
Uh, I'm 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 stealing that with uh, with my day job at some point in time. Just just throw it <laughs> <that> out there. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, oh, you almost pull oh, pranks uh, on each other to try to keep things. Some sometimes doing something, some kind of funny funny ha ha prank is like one of the best ways to just keep your sanity. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know absolutely. I mean, I, mean I, I can't imagine what it would be like doing what you guys were doing and, and going through what you were going through. Um, I I personally cannot relate to it in in that aspect. I can relate to some things in a different aspect here home kind of a morbid sense of humor if you will um but uh yeah it, it's i've been in a fair share of situations where you know humor is sometimes one of the things that you rely on to get you through um, sure it's a it's a powerful thing i think that's why nick likes it so much i love it <laughs> i had we had one little deal where i bought a brand new anti-shake case in vietnam at the post <laughs> And I had it sitting on the desk you know, where I was working on those books. And here comes a uh, captain walking into the office. And he said, uh, he said he'd been through the PX and they were at an anti-shake case. He's going on R&R &R and he wanted an anti-shake case. And he saw mine. He said, um, specialist, you want to sell your anti-shake case? And I said, well, I just got it <laughs> about two days ago. Not even broken in yet. You bought the last one, I see. I, so I, I said, okay, I'll sell it to you. So he said, I tell you what, when I get back tomorrow night, they should have some more and we'll go get one. That'll be fine. I said, we'll just, I'll let you take it and you get me another when you get back. A week later, I hear this loach helicopter landing out in the parking lot. He walks in and said, Corporal, uh, he said, Specialist Jones, let's go to the PX. I said, okay. So we walked outside and we got in the loach. We flew over to the PX and got me a, do anti-shake case, come back. I'm thinking, you know, the yes coming. I wonder how much they spent on that low ride for me to go get, <laughs> to, get to get my daggum uh, anti-shake case. But he, but he, but he was flying all over the place. But I guess it didn't make any difference yeah. to him. Well, but I, I thought that was really cool. Well, on that note, I hate to ask this. <laughs> Tough subject, but with y'all's background, where you've been, and everything. How do you feel now with like what's happening with like Afghanistan today? This is where I keep I'm my sad, mouth. I'm sad by is it. A, I know, Chris, I think you are too. Is that an okay question to ask? You guys good with it? Sure. Uh -oh. yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. have any problem with it. It's like it just seemed like a Vietnam all over to me. That's what I mean. All that time, I mean, energy put into something, and I understand we can't keep pumping money in something, but why did we get in it to begin with you know you had to look at the history of everything with Saddam Hussein and everything and and we just what put put 20 years in this thing or was it 10 what did, I forgot how long it was <laughs> but yeah, 20 you, years, I think. if you yeah. 20 years yeah 20. so yeah with with <laughs> yeah but I don't know what the answer is I mean you look at the the bad guys in the world and 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 you know you got to do something about your security and but I don't think I don't know that we're doing it the right way or something. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Well, I, I think they gave them our playbook and they ran with it. Mm -hmm. They, the way they took over as soon as we were gone, and the situation that 
we left our military in to try to handle that was completely unacceptable. That's absolutely. You know, I was, I was in Jalalabad of in Afghanistan, and you know, for my first deployment in a combat zone, it was pretty good compared to what I <laughs> experienced in Iraq. You know, we had not only were we there, the Marines, but we had the Army National Guard was on our base. Right outside our base was the Afghan army. And they also had an established police force in Jalalabad. So for us to, we had to go out and find trouble while we were there. Hmm. And then to see it, you know, it got bad at one point while I was there, but I was, I had, it was the month that I was gone closer to the Pakistani border is that some information that came out that somebody flushed a Koran down a toilet somewhere in disrespect to them and they lost their minds completely. And um, they were rioting in the area that my base was in, but it didn't last very long. Um, but, you know, we could have, we, we obviously could have did a better job in the way that we handled uh, leaving there. It, it, it didn't need to be the, the way that it was. Somebody yeah. dropped the ball. Yeah. And, you know, I, I watched those hearings with those um, generals sitting up there. And of course, they didn't want to um, incriminate anybody. They didn't want to say more than, you know, because they still, they're still being paid by the United States. So they, they could only say what they could say without saying anything. Yes. And yeah, obviously somebody dropped the ball there and it's unfortunate because that really hurt. I, you know, whenever, it doesn't matter, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, when, when you lose a service member. But, you know, obviously for me to see 13 Marines and a sailor go down, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got uh, three of my sons that served in in uh, over there. Uh, three of them uh, served in Iraq, and one of them served that tour, and then another one in Afghanistan. Um, we are, I guess, a basically a military family from the standpoint. All my boys have all of the all of the Richter side of the family, which is my wife's sons have all joined service and one of them, only one of them uh, couldn't stay in because of a health reason. But uh, we've got one that uh, is retiring here pretty soon, got 20 years in and wow. uh, I've got another one that's gonna be, that's training to be a, a doctor in the military. So he's, nice. he's working on that now. Uh, he's finished his college and he's gonna get commissioned uh, in uh, December. So I've talked to the ones that have been over there and they, they, it's amazing to me that the guys that go over and serve, and I think Chris can tell you the same thing. They were dedicated. Most of them were dedicated in what they did. And even though 
the way the situation is, they still love the country enough to be over there and, and leave their family and, and do these things that they did. And it's not politics for us. Yeah. No, it's not politics. That's the it's, point. I, that's what I, exactly what I'm trying to it's say. Something that means it has to do with, with, with their heart is for the country and for the people. And, uh, and it's a shame that politicians don't get it. I mean, I know we, we, I think we need to vote more people in that probably have had military experience so that this doesn't, doesn't keep going on and on and on. They, they need to have some common sense about them. Well, not that I have anything I to say, but in my opinion, a lot of people say we should have never been there to begin with, but yeah, but we were. And all the 20 years yeah. that we put into it, the way they pulled out, wasn't that kind of insulting? They like just eliminated was, everything was, you did. Yes. 20 years yes. of stuff I, just I, thrown it, into the toilet. That's that's kind of what I thought too. And I mean, like, I, I know they were throwing it all over the news, you know, well, you've got to get out some point and whatnot. And sure, if that's how they want to play that card that's fine but there's a right way to do it and in my this is just my opinion this is not the right way mm -hmm. absolutely it's i remember i remember driving down highway one in vietnam uh in, riding in a bus and looking over to the side and there was probably a hundred acres full of national treasure of military hardware I'll be right that back. had been blown up you know and that's that's just you think, why are we there? And in that particular situation, I learned later on that that politicians had a stake in all that, and, and they were they were they were making money off of war. And that that I, I agree with going to war if you're protecting yourself, but to be somewhere where we're not needed, you know, yeah. I mean, we're fighting somebody's war that doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Uh, I think we need to protect ourselves. I think we need to protect our, our uh, interest in other parts of the world, but fighting everybody's war is not what we should be doing, I think. Yeah, well, and then if we are, we better be smart about it. Well, and I, I yes. agree I agree 100% yeah, right. with, with what you just said there. Um, fighting everybody else's war right. is, is kind of an interesting concept because uh, – <sighs> there's i don't know how i don't know how i want to say this um it seems to me like we as a country have gotten more involved with as you just stated fighting other people's wars as opposed to minding our own business in a in a sense i guess you could say um i don't know it's just it's one of those things like i look at it you know i've I, I was never in the military. Okay. Um, I graduated from the sheriff's academy a while back, but that's obviously not the military. I look at it this way. If I'm going to take care of my family, right? I can't go out and take care of someone else's family first. I have to make sure that my family is okay before I can reach out and help out anybody else who may need it. So that's just kind of my mindset if that makes sense like sure. can that transpire over into something like the military as well because for me personally as a united states citizen i've never thought it was pertinent for us to go fight someone else's battle unless of course there's already some kind of written agreement somewhere like that's that's a different mm -hmm. a different kind of story 
right? But like, does that make sense? Do you, how do you guys feel well, about? That? I don't feel that our government should have overextended themselves into two conflicts. You know, obviously we thought our we were going after Afghanistan because of 9-11. So we should have handled that. I don't think we should have, you know, they say the weapons of mass destruction that were in Iraq that were never there. And that was, Iraq became a bigger issue for us than Afghanistan was. Yeah. And yeah. we, we, you know, we put ourselves in a, a tough position having our military spread all around, all over the place. But if you look at, if you look at Vietnam right now, um, the, the guys from the north won, basically, because we let them have it. And you go into Lowe's right now and you can buy a Sansone washing machine made in Vietnam. So those guys... <laughs> They're coming around. Apparently, they're, they're, even though they're communists, they still are making a product that is sold somewhere else in, in the world, mm -hmm. and they're making money off that product. Surely they can understand capitalism does work. You know, I mean, well, what did we what did we gain there in Vietnam? Uh, and the same thing's going to happen probably in the Far East. It, 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 who knows? Something might just turn around in the next twenty years. Or, We'll be doing business and getting washing machines from from Afghanistan. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You just have to look at the history of what's happened with these other places that we've been in, especially Vietnam. You know, they're they're doing all kinds of stuff, making all kinds of things over there now. It's crazy. They're part of the world economy. Is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Even though they're a communist country, you look at China, same thing. So um, real quick question from the uh, from the chat here, um, and we'd like, obviously, both of your input on this. Um, is the statement, thank you for your service, appropriate, or is it your belief that there is essentially no thanks needed or required? I, I personally think that whenever I say it to somebody, I'm, I'm really sincerely thankful for it. And I think most of the people that say that are thankful for it. Now, they, now I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it, when you put your life on the line, I think people should recognize that and, and thank you for it. I really do. I think we've got probably the best military in the world. I think we've got the best trained. We've got the best equipped. I might not be right about that, but I, that's the way I believe from seeing what, what we can do and capable of doing. Uh, and we could stay on top of that, hopefully. Uh, but uh, you're still putting lives at, at risk and people are dying just so that you and I can live a free life here in this country. And uh, that... Uh, you you thank a neighbor for watching your home while you're away on a vacation, or you thanking your boss for uh, giving you a raise. Why not keep thanking the service people that that protected you all this time? Agree. What do you think, Chris? You know, I appreciate when somebody um, says it to me. 
Um, is it necessary for me? No, it, it isn't necessary for anybody to say anything. Um, I know what I did and I know what I saw and I'm just, I'm just blessed to be home. I hear you. That's enough for me. Yeah. You know, I've never, you know, I've been blessed 10 times over ever since I've gotten out. I wasn't married. I didn't have children at the time. I never even thought about it if I was, if that was ever going to happen for me. And it did. Awesome. I have a beautiful wife and two boys. And fantastic, man. That's thanks enough for me right there. I'm, I can't. That's all I've ever asked for, and I've received it. And so, if somebody never said thank you for your service to me again, <laughs> that would be enough for me. Just having my wife and my kids. Yeah, that was outstanding. I know that some there are some that I don't know this. I don't know if it's because they don't like the memories or what, but some people like they don't want to be thanked. I've I've met like a they, few. They actually. can almost get irritable if you say something like that. Yeah. Like when I'm in the grocery store and I see uh, individuals in um, uniform or if I'm out somewhere and I see somebody in their uniform, I, I make it a point to thank them as yeah. I'm walking by. I usually do myself as well. Um, yep. I have a couple friends that that serve that are like, don't don't bother, you know, no thanks needed. Just, you know, I don't want to relive any of the the memories kind of thing like what nick was was talking about there um but same same kind of thing and it's it's not out of it's not like you see someone in in uniform and it's like you feel obligated it's a genuine you know thank you for doing what so many people aren't essentially willing to do you know mm, right I mean? it takes us it takes right. a special caliber of human being Oh, to yeah. go into something, in my opinion, as noble as knowing that you're potentially going to sacrifice yourself for everyone else. And that's why I say thank you, because it does mean a lot. I got an interesting question, because there are times running out, but... I know, it's like... When, uh, <sighs> this is a good show, too. When you guys, with what you do and knowing what you've been through, dealing with these wars and what you've done trying to, when you see things that go on in the U.S. that are negative, doesn't it just, it's got to be more irking to you fighting for our freedom to see some of this stuff. If it's got us this irritated, you guys actually put your lives on the line. It's got to be really irritating. I mean, I, I get heated. I, I get on I get on fire <laughs> on some <laughs> yeah, of these topics. I would love to get your insight into that. Well, as a 75-year-old man, I've seen a lot since, you know, since I was born in 46, which was right after World War II. I've gained an understanding that we are a nation of choices and we are a nation of freedom. And these freedoms sometimes look like they're biting us in the tail because this says you can do it. And then you say, well, why did we let them do that? <laughs> yeah. So, but I understand that uh, uh, if we're if we are a, a geo-Christian 
Judea Christian nation, we follow those precepts, we follow those teachings, we follow those commandments, we follow what what the what the founding fathers laid down as a foundation for everyone to have freedom. Now, that freedom sometimes teaches us lessons and as individuals. I mean, if we have the freedom to do something and we get bit later on and it was because we did it, then we can turn that around and come back and say, oh, that didn't work. Let's try something right. else. I, I've yeah. done that a lot of times in my life. And, and, and I, I just come to terms with whatever I see somebody doing that I know is not a good thing for the country or my opinion anyway. Uh, I try to take it in perspective and say, well, maybe they'll figure it out and maybe they'll come to, to around to my thinking or maybe they won't, but they've got that freedom and that's what this country is all about. Yeah. So well, uh, if you go, to, if you go putting clamps on things uh, to uh, thinking you're keeping something from bleeding to death, uh, sometimes it's, it may backfire on us if we take those things and say you can't do this and it might be the actual thing that that uh can turn the country around i don't know that's the way i look at it well as a civilian it's kind of like i simplify it like i'm in a store with all these people and the store is being attacked by terrorists we'll say and i'm doing everything i can with my life on the line to bar up these doors stop it from coming in helping these people out and I look and some dumbass is unlocking and opening the back door, letting them come in the back way. I'm going to be pissed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, I understand. What do you think, Chris? Does it, does it, it's got to be more irritating being that you've been on the front lines to stop it. And, um, you know, I, I have friends that work for Border Patrol and they're local to New York and now they're being sent to Texas because they don't have enough bodies to do the job that needs to be done because it's out of control right now. And these guys have to leave their families for a month or so at a time to go down there to relieve the pressures of <laughs> these other border patrol agents that are stationed down there. So obviously there, there's a big problem and it's not being fixed. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. I, I, I thought we were heading in the right direction regarding the border and how they were going to handle things. And then obviously things changed. Um, and somebody had another, opinion regarding the whole thing yeah but they don't want to cover that now you know yeah. it's i hate to get into this back and forth regarding what they're covering and what they're not covering but it's blatant oh yeah yeah it's it's definitely blatant and you know i've been watching this um trial on tv with that um 17 year old kid he's 18 now that um was providing security and first aid for people during those riots 
and how they portrayed that whole thing, that whole situation as well. And they only showed you what they wanted to show you. But now the trial's playing out and all the prosecutor can do is try to blow it for himself. It's crazy. I'm glad it's on TV and people are able to see what's going on. No, I don't agree with that kid walking around with an AR-15, but apparently the rules are different there because the cops didn't do anything. Yeah, well. Hmm. But it's it's a it's crazy a, world that we live in. I've lived, those are the exact words that were just about to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I was really about to say, it's a crazy world we live in now. And as soon as I went to say it, you said it. <laughs> and, you know, having children, that's what scares me. Yeah. Because I'm trying to raise them with the mindset that not everything's going to be all right. And, you know, you have to prepare yourself for that. And it's not easy. It's no. not easy to um, yeah. prepare children that are, you know, my kids are young. My one son's um, five and my other son's 10. And it's tough and, because, you know, you got outside entities politically that are trying to mm -hmm. teach them stuff we don't want them taught. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My son is, um, my son's four. He'll be five in, uh, in uh, June. And I'm already trying to figure out how to get him to the point where the entire world isn't just puppy dogs and rainbows and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bliss, yeah. Uh, yeah. essentially. Um and it's 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 tough, you know, because he goes to he goes to school, he hangs out with his friends. Um, he's not at the age yet where he's being taught the things that Nick was kind of alluding to just a second ago. And when that day comes, I'm daddy's gonna have a lot to say. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 kind of scary. Mm -hmm. every, every once in a while, you turn on the TV, you go on to any social media platform out there and you're on it for five minutes or less. And you've sure got a lot to think about. <laughs> Just saying. It's, it's hey, I want to share. A, a, this is kind of a cute story regarding my son that's in kindergarten. He came home a few weeks back and said that the assistant teacher was... Uh, I got to think of the word that he used, but she was, wasn't being nice to him and he didn't understand why. And she was like rushing him to, to do something. So he came home that day from school and told me, he goes, I don't know what the problem was. I don't know why she was acting the way she was towards me. And I go, you know, Colin, I go, maybe she was having a bad day. And unfortunately, she was taking it on on you. And I go, but I go, my opinion is, and my <laughs> wife is standing there at that. I go, I would go to school tomorrow and let her know how you feel. And my wife mm -hmm. turned around and looked at me and goes, what are you telling him? And I'm going, I'm just telling him to speak up for himself. And if yeah. she made me feel a certain way yeah. and he wasn't happy with it, he needs to let her know. Absolutely. And... I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. He comes home the next day from school and says, I had a word with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I had a word with that teacher. <laughs> he goes, I went up to her and said, 
I don't know why you were pushing me yesterday, but you know, you're, I didn't appreciate it or whatever. And he put this student teacher back on her heels and she goes, well, I'm sorry. And I was having a bad day. And he came home and said, you were right. She was having a bad day. I go, but did she apologize? He goes, she did. I go, well, there you go. I, go, I couldn't be prouder of you to open your mouth and tell her how you felt because she treated you a way that she shouldn't have the day before. And, you know, I guess any other kindergarten kid would have just taken it and never said a word, but my son no. went back to school the next day and <laughs> put her, put her in her place in so many words and let her know that that wasn't acceptable. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's a good, good example. Yeah, the way yeah. things are going today, they have to. I to always tell the kids, do it respectfully. They are elders and whatever. Do it respectfully, mm -hmm. so they can't sure. turn it around on you. But say what you sure. say, how you feel. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, um, we 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 are getting close to our time limit here. Um, before we go, uh, just one more thing, real quick. Do you have, in your own words, of course? Um, any advice that you would like to give to the younger generation of men and women looking to serve? I froze up for a second. So if you wouldn't mind repeating that, I would appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Um, just wondering if you guys had any advice for any of the younger generation men and women that are looking to potentially serve. I, I'm, I, if I don't mind, Chris, I'll no, absolutely. something, something that, that I, that I came to mind on that, you know, a lot of our, um, young people are looking for a way to pay for their education. Of course, the army and all the services push that they, they say you can get your education by being in the service. Um, I think it's, and, and they also can join early and their time, their clock starts early um, before they turn 17 in some cases. And they're still in college, uh, high school and they get to finish high school, but the clock has already started early. Now I see what they're doing. I see what the military is doing, but young people not having the experience they've had in life uh, that, that, that someone that might be 25 or 30 years old and looking at this education thing don't make that education thing the primary reason for joining. You have to think real hard mm -hmm. about what's going on. I had a son come to me. He wanted to join the, the National Guard, and he was uh, 16 at the time. And I told him, no, you're not going to join. So will you let Devin join? He said, no, Devin joined what, after he was um, out of high school. And David was 17, and he's out of high school. Well, this one wasn't out of high school yet, and he wasn't happy with me. I mean, I knew what was going on. On the other hand, I had another son that was already in the National Guard, and he was supposed to get a some kind of a uh, finder's fee on this kid, and, and he wasn't happy with me either. So, <laughs> But I told him, I said, I'm the guy that, that, that can sign the thing that lets you go in, and I'm not signing it until you're old enough to understand. Well, he did go into the National Guard later on after he got out of high school, and he hadn't actually ever said that, that, that he forgave me for that, but he is a lieutenant now in the National Guard. I think he was more mature when he went in. Mm -hmm. 
instead of going in early. Uh, I think think you have to really counsel your your child before they go into service in that respect. That's the way I look at it. What do you think, Chris? Well, you know, I had a couple opportunities to join the service. Uh, right out of high school, I had the Marine recruiters um, calling me, and I went and talked to them. And I wasn't even graduated yet, and they were telling me, well, we'll give you the weekend to think about it. And I never felt pressure like that before in my life. Jeez. And I obviously wasn't ready to make a decision up like that over a weekend. And then um, years later, a friend of mine who is still in the Army, he wanted me to join with him in 95, I believe it was. He wanted me to join the Army with him. And... Um, I went and talked to his recruiter and they weren't, the army wasn't pressuring me at all to join at the time. Um, but it wasn't the right timing for me either. And then, um, you know, because the military was something that I always wanted to do. Um, but I guess the timing just wasn't right. And then after nine 11, it, it all kind of hit me at that point. I'm going, well, I got to, I think I told myself or told other people if, you know, if a situation ever had happened, I guess, kind of like that, then I would join the military. And I felt that duty at that time. I felt that it was right. I was in a position in my life where I could make that decision um, because there was nobody else to consider at that time besides myself. And it was like shit or get off the pot being almost 30 years old. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life is to join the military, um, especially during um, two wars that were going on. Um, it, I went in with a purpose and I, I think I fulfilled that purpose while I was in there. You know, it was to help others. It was to support my country and I couldn't ask for anything more in the four years that I served. I, I guess after the fact, I wish I would have went in younger because I would have liked to done more time. But I figured I'm 34 when I got out and there was so much, so many other things that I wanted to accomplish as well. And I, I did what I wanted to do in the military. And, um, you know, I, I guess I, if I was telling somebody or somebody was asking my, me in my opinion, I would just say, make sure it's right for you. Make sure you're getting what you want out of it in the end. And so every day when you wake up in the mirror, you can look at yourself and say, I, I did it the right way. And I'm satisfied with myself. And I can walk away with my head high and knowing that I made a difference. Sounds about right. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, guys, I think right at the end here, I just want to bring up uh, something, Brandon. You can kind of throw it out there because you're good with words. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we're going to start something. I want people to know about it, and I want you guys to give your little 
just a minute, just a second opinion on what our new endeavor is, the spinning off of this veterans episode. Brandon, you want to share what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our intention essentially is to provide kind of a platform where we can do something like this, you know, once a month, more frequently if it if it does turn into a, a thing. Um, obviously, we would love to have you gentlemen back if you if you'd be so inclined. Um, but essentially, just to to provide a place where this could happen, because we think that you know, there's doing what you've done is such a huge decision that shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, I do a lot of promoting for the military for my class that I teach. I have a lot of military enlistments that come through my class that I'm the instructor for. And I make sure that they take their time with that decision because they're getting hounded, not hounded, but you know what I mean? Quote unquote hounded by the recruiters from day one when they're on center where I work. And I want them to make sure it's the right decision for them. Also, not just for the younger generation, like what we were just talking about. And again, thank you for your input on that. But for people like yourselves to be able to come together and essentially share the stories, share the experiences, because we think that your voices need to be heard. We touched on a couple current affair things today, and I'm not going to speak for Nick on this, but me personally, I'd rather hear your thoughts and opinions on stuff like yeah. that than anybody else's thought or opinion on the news. That's right. Because the news is unreliable. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Sorry, <laughs> you YouTube. That. You're, you're going to get me in trouble for it, YouTube. I apologize. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but that's that's basically that that's our goal to start out essentially once a month where we could do something like this. Like I said, we'd love to have you guys come back if you'd like to. Um, we're reaching out. We would obviously love to have more people as well. Um, and we just we just want to give you guys a, a place where you can come on. You can tell your stories and you can be heard anywhere. There could be three, great. three or six people in a group. It could go on for three hours if it had to. We're yeah. just discuss things between the day today, and then essentially we share that, and it will be uploaded. We'll have a separate channel. We're gonna name this thing, yeah. and uh, once a month. Yeah, on, today's kind of a special kind of uh, episode yeah. that we're we're working in live with you guys. Um, this other stuff would be like Nick was just talking about, recorded separately, and then we would integrate it with what we what we usually do as well as have it its own standalone thing i think as well right? yeah, essentially as we catch them we're going to take the real good spots of it little clips and once a month in an episode we're going to speak of it and then tell them if you want to watch the full episode or other things of this go to our other channel where it will be named and the whole whether it's you guys talk for one hour you talk for three hours the whole sitting will be put up for people to listen to what you guys have to say we want to get as many military people across the states as possible to do this thing. We're spreading it as best we can. So, absolutely. What do you guys think about that? Does this sound like something? Sounds sounds reasonable to me. It sounds like a good platform. Fantastic. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Okay. Yeah, we're hoping to uh, we're hoping to get involved with as many 
charities as we possibly can as well later on down the lines. Um, from this kind of, I guess you could say branch off from what we've historically been doing, we want anything and everything that we possibly can to go towards those charities through these these events and these get-togethers and these meetups and the essentially the awareness that only people like yourselves could bring. Right. With that, I'm going to say thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Very much um, so. That thank you was, for having us. I, I, yeah, really, thank you for having us. That's, that's, that's actually what I feel, too. Well, we appreciate you guys. I think it's a, Everything it's you a good did. thing you're doing. Thank you. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy that it you guys awesome. could come on. This was, this was powerful stuff. Yeah, this was one of our best. I like it. This, this was amazing. And, um, again, Chris, Don, thank you both for your service and – everything that you've done for this country and again just you feel like you can't say thank you enough don't you i can't i can't, <laughs> I can't say it enough you know it's it's like it's just you know it could be annoying to some people but if you knew how we felt in our hearts like why we're not just being like yeah. like we think we have to say thank you we're thanking you because it really means something to us well and there's Huge. such well, i think there should be some some thanks here to you guys for going out on the limb and taking your time off to, from doing something else you might want to do and and bringing this forth in this platform and letting a couple old vets uh talk yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's part of that's part of the program that takes two sides of something to get something yeah something accomplished you yeah. know so it's good well, thank it's you good. well we'll say thank you from our co-producer mary would like to thank you ferris would mm -hmm. like to thank you uh, we will thank my wife, Linda, for her question of the day for these guys. Yes. That's a good question. Yeah. She usually comes up with some pretty yeah, good usually. ones. Even if you were drafted, that's a good question. <laughs> <Even if you're... laughs> <laughs> the draft ain't a thing anymore, is it? They, they didn't bring it back. I know. I think they were talking about No, it's no, not back. So. But I got, I got an opinion on that. Next time I come on, I'll tell you what I think about <laughs> right. that. I think, I think there yeah. is some necessity in some of that, not all of it. I hear you. That'd be a good cliffhanger for uh, for our viewers and our listeners. And uh, again, to all of them, we thank you all for tuning in. Love be sure to like, subscribe, share, comment. Leave us some questions that you would like us to ask in the next, uh, I guess you'd call it open forum that we're going to be having with our, our military uh, members. And uh, as always, thanks for being here, y'all. Yep. We appreciate Peace. it. Thank you. Take care.